0: Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 22, and we'll be starting in verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, "'Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe?' And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, "'Bind him hand and foot, "'and throw him into the outer darkness.' or there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen.
1: In in about three and a half weeks, my wife Julie and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. And it reminds me about when we got married, almost 20 years ago now, We had a a, a wedding uh, rehearsal dinner, of course, the night before the wedding, and all of our family were were there together, my family and her family. And of course, people speak and sort of roast you, but also celebrate you. And my father-in-law, now father-in-law, got up to speak and he reminisced in front of all of us about hearing the news that his own daughter, his oldest daughter, Julie, met, another man at Duke University because I was in seminary I was a graduate student just like her and she called and said mom dad I've met someone at school and my father-in-law told everyone at the rehearsal dinner that his mind just started going maybe she met someone in the business school (laughs) maybe she met someone in the law school or medical school Maybe, maybe somebody, and then she told him, I met someone in seminary. I won't quote him, it's not appropriate for church, but (laughs) he essentially said it was another minister. Now, he's, he's a fan of mine now, uh, you know, but at the time it was just kind of joking. I mean, often do you really hear the truth at weddings? Usually everything's just rosy and all of that. Well, it's, it's a celebration. Everybody wants to be happy. And every now and then some truth comes out. I saw online, I can't show you the actual invitation because it had people's names on it, but I saw online a sort of funny wedding invitation. And, it, you know, it asked people to RSVP and there were four options, and you could check one of, one of them. So the very first option was enthusiastically attend. The second was regretfully decline. The third option was regretfully attend. And the fourth option was enthusiastically decline. I would love to know how many people checked the bottom two of that. So, you know, here you go. It's a wedding. It's supposed to be a joyous occasion. And in the parable that Jesus tells today, it's a parable about a king whose son is getting married and it's a important celebration. And he invites all the important people in the city where he's the king. And I don't know if you know this about kings. They usually get their way, don't they? You know, in a sense, the wedding invitation for his son and the banquet is not really optional. You can't RSVP no to the king, can you? In a sense, when the king sent out the word by his servants, his messengers, etc., save the date, my son's getting married, you're invited to the banquet. It was essentially less of a get ready for an RSVP and more about clear your calendar, you're going to be here. And so, the day for the wedding came. The expectation was the people that were invited were to come. And so the messengers went out and said, the feast is ready. You are all invited and no one came. Now you can imagine how the king in this story probably felt. Certainly they don't understand my messengers. Somehow they didn't get the communication right because surely they are not blowing off The wedding banquet for my son. So he sent his messengers and servants out again. And if you read it, you'll see that it's very clear that the message was received the first time. They just blew it off. The second time, they even sort of make light of the reception, the banquet. They make light of it And don't even really respond at all. And then there are other people who actually round up the messengers and the servants of the king and rough them up and and, and hurt them and even kill a few of them. And of course, the king is not happy about this. Some bad things happen, of course. They are no longer worthy to be at the wedding banquet, the king doesn't want them anymore. And so, the king sends out his messengers that survived again, and they go out not to find the important guests, but they go anywhere, everywhere in the city. They don't go to Main Street, they go into the alleyways and into the rural areas and they round up anyone who is there and invite them to the wedding banquet. Now we'll cover the rest of it in a moment, but I want you to know and understand sort of what's happening here. There are a group of people that just will not accept that this is the wedding banquet and they turn off their response. And there are others who end up being invited and who were unexpected. Now the traditional historical understanding for this parable is that God is the king. Jesus is the son. And if you look at the salvation history of the people of Israel, they were the chosen people. They were the ones that God made a covenant with Abraham and said to them, I am your God. You and your descendants will be my people. I will be your God. And that was the relationship. And there was always a way in which God was going to rescue them or bring them back into the fold over and over and over again. The sort of story goes that the people turned away from God. God, in a sense, educated them about their sins and then brought them back. And in the end of the Old Testament, we have prophets that emerge on the scene and they come telling the people that God is not done with them, that the covenant still stands and he will come and rescue them. He will send a Messiah, a savior, a rescuer, someone who will come and save them. You may remember that later, uh, earlier in the year, in the spring, we talked a little bit about the book of Isaiah. There were several different chapters that we mentioned. One talks about a wedding feast and God responding to us and saving us. So the idea of a wedding banquet, a wedding feast, and a feast at the end of time where God brings us together together and feeds us is there in Isaiah chapter 25, verses six six through nine. If you wanna write that down and look it up later, Isaiah 25, verses six through nine. There's also some really wonderful wedding banquet uh, references in Isaiah 62 as well. But you get the idea. God promised his son that would come and the prophets were there to tell them that God was on the way. And then, and then, before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was sent out. Do you remember this? He was there to prepare the way of the Lord, and he went out into the sort of uh, area of uh, the wilderness of Israel, the sort of really just arid, dry, desolate area, and he went and was baptizing people to try to get them ready to meet God's Messiah. And they ridiculed John the Baptist, these religious leaders. They made fun of him and called him weird. And they even helped make the case against him where eventually he was killed. And then there's Jesus who comes on the scene and ends up causing a stir. And they will not listen to him. They will, these religious leaders will not listen to him. They turn against him. And, of course, they get to the point in which they are conspiring to kill Jesus. Jesus as well. So you can kind of see how this parable maps out, if you will, exactly what happened in the history of leading up to the point of Jesus. We got to be careful that we don't just, in a sense, lock ourselves into some sort of hate for the people that played into this more of an understanding of human nature and how we can come up with a lot of good excuses why we're too busy for God, or even how we sometimes are blind to see what is obvious to God. We are often not always perceptive of what God is doing in the world. That's the historical sort of understanding of how this scripture came to be. And if you think about it, there were people who clearly made themselves unworthy to come to the banquet. They sort of checked themselves off by enthusiastically declining. And I have to be honest, when I read this scripture the first time in preparing for today's message, I had a little air of self-righteousness as I was reading it. And I was thinking, uh, yes, you see, I am the one who, who checked enthusiastically attend. You know, I was not originally invited to the party, but here I am checking the box and coming. I'm one of those people that came at the end and I got to get into the party. I kind of felt that way the first time I read it, but then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, this doesn't always seem to be the kind of attitude that Christians should have. And there's a warning hidden in this parable about that type of pride. First of all, you'll notice that the people who are invited to the party, the people that are invited to the banquet are the kind of overlooked people, the strangers, the, the nobodies. They're the ones that actually show up to the party. They're the forgotten ones. They weren't even invited the first time. They are the ones that are invited in. And did you notice that it was very clear that when the servants and messengers went out that third time and invited all the other people, that they brought in the good and the bad? <laughs> they brought in everyone, the good and the bad. They're are no VIPs, if you will, at the people who get to the table. We're just all lucky to be at God's table. I think it's really important for us to understand that here in this parable, there's an understanding that God desires for there to be a full banquet, every seat filled. And that is a sign of a good and loving God. He wants every chair filled. And maybe you're not like me who thinks, well, I've already checked, enthusiastically attend. Maybe you're still questioning this. Maybe you don't know where you belong. And I'm telling you that God wants you at the banquet. You are not forgotten. There is a place for you. You are welcome to attend. And if you're one of those people that is not sure about this whole following Jesus thing, we would love to talk to you and help you understand God's love for you. Maybe you're like me though, And you kind of feel like I am automatically on the invite list. And I started realizing that that invite list is not a sign of important people. It's about anyone and everyone that can come. The good, the bad, the important, the not unimportant, the people with homes, the people without homes, everybody. It's just every nook and cranny of the city. These messengers go out and bring people in. When I was a youth director uh, several years ago, I was a part of a big church here in Birmingham where we had a large youth group and we had a youth council. We had elections for our youth council leadership positions, which is always a great thing to do to pit teenagers against each other. And in this election, we had people running who were members of the church as well as people who weren't members of the church because a youth group, if you don't know, is often made up of mostly members, but not all members because some kids may go to another church, but their friends go to our church. And so they attend, they're a part of our youth group, even though they may not be official members. And we had an election and for the office of secretary, which is a really important job in the youth council, Um, we had a non-member get elected to that position Sunday night. Monday morning, I have a voicemail from a parent whose child lost as a secretary, and they're a member. And and they told me, that shouldn't have happened. That child's not a member. You need to have a revote. And I said, I'm just, I'm sorry. We can't do that. This child is a part of our youth group. And there was this feeling of insider and outsider, VIP, and, you know, not really important. And it really concerned me that sometimes this is the air of importance that we have in the church. You know, when people join our church and we talk about the covenant that we make to become members of Asbury, I remind them that there are only two perks to joining our church. Everything else is about what you give to God and what you do as a member of our church. The first perk is is that you get a discount on a wedding, and most people who join our church are already married. And I say, sorry. Um, <laughs> The second perk is, is that once you join, you are eligible for some of our committees that are only for members, such as the Staff Parish Relations Committee, which is essentially our human resources. And, you know, most people, when they hear this, say, that's exactly why I'm joining this church. I want to get on a committee where I will be thought of as one of the people who's making all those bad decisions. You know, that's what's happening. So so again, you see the thing, when we become members, it's not about perks, it's about what We bring because we care about God and God's invitation to be a part of His church, not about what we get out of it. You know, sometimes when we think of ourselves as the VIP, we're missing the point. It is very important for us to understand that humility is a key value in what it means to be the church or a Christian who follows Jesus. Without humility, we try to put ourselves above God. Without humility, we try to put ourselves ahead of Christ to tell Christ what he should ask us and what he shouldn't. Humility allows us to be in the right place so that we are submitting to God and to what God's kingdom looks like. There's something else in the parable that happens at the end, and somebody this morning uh, said to me after the early service, I was wondering if you were just going to skip that part. And that part is where there's someone who gets into the wedding and doesn't have the right clothes on. Did you notice that? There's one person in the wedding who doesn't have a wedding robe. And I've done some studying on this and found that there are two schools of, of thought in terms of scholars and this story. One is, is that the king would have likely provided wedding garments for people and that when they came in, they would be able to get this garment and put it on. And so this person who doesn't have a wedding garment in, we assume either decided not to or missed the opportunity. He just sort of went around the entrance way, came in another way and didn't get the robe. And if he was serious about being at the party, All he would have to say is, I didn't get one. Can I have one, please? But notice that when the king approaches him and says this, he's silent. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I didn't have one. May I have one, please? He has no defense. He seems not to even want to have one. So the question is, you know, is the banquet open for people that don't want to be there? Do we have the opportunity to basically say, uh, you know, I will follow Jesus, but I won't live according to his kingdom. Maybe that's not okay. Another way of looking at this is that some scholars say that the wedding robe was not actually given out to people. It's that this person came to the wedding banquet in a dirty robe. He didn't clean it. He didn't get ready for the wedding. And to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense because the whole parable begins with the people sitting at the banquet being invited at the last minute. He probably didn't have time to wash his robe. But let's say that's really what the translation is getting at. And if that's the case, then it may point towards our righteousness, our purity, that if we're not holy, if we don't care about doing the right thing, if we don't really live according to the kingdom, then we may not fit in with everyone else at the wedding feast. Could it be that this the person who is cast out into the darkness is the person who wants to be at the wedding banquet but doesn't want to actually transform or conform to the kingdom of God. Could it be that the person without the wedding robe is checking regretfully attend? Could it be? I don't know. These are questions that are not easily answered in this parable, but it is clear that God has a banquet for his son and he wants people to be a part of it. He wants every seat filled and he wants people to come in. He doesn't want us to come in and to argue about how close we sit to the groom. He just wants us to come in. You know, I've also heard some commentators write or read some commentaries that say that we have to remember that the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. It starts with a party. And sometimes we, we misunderstand that, don't we? We think that the, 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 the kingdom of God is like a very boring event where somebody talks at you for 30 minutes and tells you all the things you're doing wrong and tells you what you need to do better. The kingdom of God is like a funeral where you have to come and sit and be very very solemn and sad. The kingdom of God is not like any of those, is it? The kingdom of God is not a gathering where somebody tries to make you feel ashamed. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. Well, what do you do at a wedding banquet? It's a party. You celebrate. There is joy. There is singing. There's dancing. And some people... Dance that shouldn't be dancing. And though goes on YouTube with people with their cameras, right? People sing karaoke that shouldn't be singing karaoke. It's a party. And we miss that sometimes. You know, I've, I've heard a joke. This is, not, this is not serious. I'll tell you the serious thing in a second. But I've, I've heard a joke and I've said this before in, here at Asbury. And that is that the American sign language for Methodists used to be this. Okay? Now, that's not real, but let's just say it is. You know, the early Methodists were a part of a revival. They were going town to town, sharing God's news, uh, sharing God's story. They were excited. They would sing. I mean, Charles Wesley, all of the hymns that he wrote, these beautiful, beautiful theologically rich hymns that are in our hymnals, have tunes that people used to sing in the bars in England. So he wrote theological words to go with bar music so that people would sing with joy like they did in the bars. That doesn't mean next time you come to church, you need to imbibe. Um, but you see what I'm saying? It was joyful, there was excitement there. So this was the American sign language for Methodist. Do you know what it is now? <laughs> Some of you are doing it right now. Um, I'm kidding. Neither one of those is correct. The actual sign language for Methodism is this. Do you know why? Because John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed, like warming your hands together like this. Strangely warmed. It's a party. The wedding banquet is a party. We are called to something joyful. We are not called to suffer in terms of just sitting and being bored. We are called to be joyful, to be grateful, to to know that there is a seat at the table for us, that we are not being shut out, that we are being brought in. Now, being brought in means that we need to follow Jesus and conform to God. It means that we need to be transformed, but it doesn't mean that we have to give up joy. There is sacrifice and there is suffering in following Jesus, but it also can be done with celebration and thanksgiving because God chose even us. So the wedding feast, remember the very beginning. It is joyful. Jesus's arrival on the scene is important and it should be celebrated. It's the thing we should praise God for. But it also is a reminder to us that we are a part of a very diverse group of people that are all invited to the table. And if we don't live and we don't act with humility, we run the risk of being kicked out of the party. And I don't know about you, but this is one banquet that I want to remain at. Thanks be to God. Amen.